Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Peter Oldring. And I'm Pat Kelly. And you're listening to This Is That, the show that brings you stories you won't hear anywhere else. Are you people mad? This gives me great grief. The very thought of that offends me. It's a terrible idea. Documentary. Oh, I just love the idea. Come on. Interviews. I just couldn't believe my ears. This is that. For the first time ever, the province of Manitoba has made international headlines. On Monday, it was disclosed that Manitoba Tourism has contracted celebrity Brad Pitt to officially endorse the province. Endorse it for what? Well, that remains unclear. Joining me now to shed some light on this unusual manoeuvre by Manitoba is their Commissioner of Tourism, Mr. Gerald Crawford. Hello, Mr. Crawford. Hi. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure to, uh, to have the opportunity. So I guess the first question and the big one on everybody's mind, especially for Manitobans, is, is why have you spent over $1 million to have Brad Pitt represent the province of Manitoba? Oh, well, uh, I mean, you just have to go and, and take a, a little look at, at the filmo- filmography when you think of Brad Pitt, you think of that kind of uh, rugged, uh, you know, machismo, uh, sort of mysterious person. And, and in so many ways, that's the spirit of Manitoba. You know, Manitoba, if it were a film, is kind of your Ocean's Eleven, you know, or, or your Mr. and Mrs. Smith. There's, there's a, a real kind of undercurrent of mystery and intrigue to it. So we, we, we felt... That's the energy uh, that I think best represents Manitoba, uh, oh. is, is that Brad Pitt sort of mystery charisma. Okay, so when you, when you in your conversations... Sleepers. In, in your... When he played Michael Sullivan in Sleepers as well, that's another Manitoba-style character. Okay, so why don't we talk a little bit about what exactly Mr. Uh, Brad Pitt will be doing then? Right. Uh, wh- what, what, what will his responsibilities be to the, to the province in order to promote Manitoba to the world? Well, we've, we've really left that open. Uh, we, we didn't want to put any parameters on, on what we're expecting him to do. It's, it's you know, Brad Pitt, he, he, it's, it's not like, you know we can be at his beck and call or, or vice versa. So we've, we've been uh, working with Brad's team. And, and so now it well, becomes you, about the, sp- the you... minutia of what, you know, what will he do? Well, have you spoken with him? What will he be doing? Uh, no, at this point we uh, we're well, that's just not how it works. You don't, you're not going to call Brad Pitt. Uh, you know, we've been de- dealing with Brad's team. And uh, so these are, uh, these are, uh, you know, uh, agents and lawyers, and and so we're, we've we've got the deal in place with them. The but, funds are escrowed. So you've uh, paid them. Yes, 
Well, and you have not a, spoken to Brad Pitt yet about what no, he should. No, but it's it's a it's a pay or play scenario. You have to pay to play. Oh. So that's been done, and so now it's about the play. Okay, it's, so what what would you like him to do? Right. Well, you know, we wanted to really leave that as open as possible because. Uh, as his representation reminded us, Brad's an artist, and, and you don't handcuff an artist. You, you kind of let him bring as much to the table as he can. Uh, but I can tell you uh, this much. Uh, he has definitely uh, agreed uh, to wearing a, a lapel pin, a Manitoba lapel pin, at the upcoming Teen Choice Awards, and so on the red carpet. So that will be, he is doing that. So for a million dollars, you've guaranteed that he'll wear a lapel pin at the... Yes. Okay. That's... So will Brad Pitt be required to then come and visit Manitoba at some point this year? No, 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 no. I mean, we wouldn't... We're not... That's... You know, he's obviously uh, very busy. Not to say that he, he might not swing through. Uh, you know, it's very possible he could shoot something here. We shoot a lot of movies here. Uh, but... Uh, uh, we already, all of us uh, here at the Tourism Board, we've all been given a headshot and a signed, signatured headshot that says Brad Pitt. Uh, so, in some ways, he's already here. <laughs> and, in, uh, but, uh, and in other ways, I, I think you know what a uh, million dollars gets you. Yes, yes. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, I want to thank you for being on the program, Mr. Crawford. It'll certainly be interesting to see how this plays out for the province and for Mr. Pitt. Well, we certainly uh, thank you very much, and I also I have to tell you that uh, if this falls short, we have on good word uh, from the agents that we can use some of that money um, to get Bill Paxton. So. When the story you just heard originally aired, we received a lot of feedback. Here's what real people had to say about the province of Manitoba paying Brad Pitt to endorse their province. What a waste of taxpayers' money. I just don't understand the point of that. Elevating a Brad Pitt is abhorrent. I'm just absolutely livid. Is this a fake thing? They felt it was a good investment to pay Brad over a million dollars to wear a lapel pin at the Teen Choice Awards and possibly swing by. Give me a thousand dollars and I'll wear a hundred pins. How about like Clint Eastwood, man? Now that's a guy who you want to endorse your province. I think that they should have paid Sheila Booth one million dollars. I think we have a plethora of wonderfully high-profile celebrity talent in our own country. I can't think of which ones have come out of uh, Manitoba. First, I just want to say uh, I do respect the fact that um, they're thinking outside the box. Of course they should hire him. Our province gave a consulting firm $600,000 to come up with a new slogan for the province. I don't think it's a problem to have an American celebrity promote the province. million dollars to Brad Pitt? Probably actually a better investment by comparison. Thanks. Just like Loch Ness in the Scottish Highlands, there's a lake in western Canada that many believe is home to a mysterious and rarely seen creature called the Ogopogo. This week, however, a marine biologist by the name of George Herring published a controversial article in the Journal of Aquatic Life and Science that has many believers up in arms. Hello, Mr. Herring. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me on your program. 
So tell us a little bit about your controversial study. Well, the study is uh, one that we have been working on for the last 10 years uh, out of the University of British Columbia. And the sole purpose of the study was to investigate the uh, Lake Okanagan and come to some conclusion as to whether or not the Ogopogo exists in Lake Okanagan. And okay. we can... So, so for just sorry, for those that don't know, the Ogopogo is... The Ogopogo is the name of a fictional, uh, mythical sort of creature that people have believed to have been living in Lake Okanagan. Yes, the friendly monster of the lake. Yes. We have come to the conclusion after uh, spending, as I said, uh, 10 years working on this, that there is uh, absolutely no Ogopogo living in Lake Okanagan. So where do you think it went? I'm sorry? So where do you think it went? No, this is not an issue of it went somewhere else. This is proving that it not exist at all within the lake. Okay, so it's it is possible that it could be living somewhere else, like the Shushua. No, it, well, it, this no, no. The the point of the whole study was that it does not exist at all, nor did it ever did. No, I understand that, but what I'm saying is that your science has suggested it could be alive somewhere no, the else. science doesn't suggest anything. The science proves that it okay. does not exist well, at I th- all within I think, Lake Okanagan. I think this is semantics. But let's let's move on to the actual science involved in your study. What did you do? Well, we used every scientific method that there was uh, available to us, which is obviously using different methods to look for the Ogopogo. Okay, so you were, you were using the science of looking? Well, yes, that is the simple explanation, simplified way of saying it, but we used a lot of, um, you know, obviously scientific research and um Okay, so, so you, I'm, I'm assuming that you were using sonar or... Yes, absolutely. Sonar was definitely part of uh, our search. And, and we, was that pretty much it? I, no, the sonar was one very, uh, you know, specific element of our search. We used okay. uh, GPS uh, tracking okay, as so well as... Okay, so maybe some aerial air, photography. Absolutely, yes. Infrared photo- temperature searching. Yes, and teams of divers over nets, the last... depth ten- charges, skip search techniques. Have you used the military? Um, well, no, this was not a military okay, study. so you didn't use that. No, we simply just used every sort of scientific tool that was uh, available to us to look for it, and we can conclusively say that the Ogopogo, simply because we spent 10 years using every technique, technique to look does not exist. Did you drain the lake? I'm sorry, I don't... Did you Did you get the get that water out of there and take a good look? Well, no, we didn't because this uh, obviously would be physically impossible. Okay, you so you did, you used some, some things and, and you... More, no, we used everything that we could possibly... But draining the lake. Okay, so there's, there's a chance that it's not there, possibly it's moved somewhere else. I would say that there is a 99.999% chance that the Algopaga does not exist. Exactly, so there's still a, a, a chance. Well, not realistically, no, this okay. is not something... So that, what do you think this is going to do to tourism in the area? Well, I don't think that it will affect it that much. I can't imagine well, that everybody I, I goes to the Lake Okanagan simply to see a glimpse of something that does not exist. I don't know why else you'd go. Well, it's a wonderful lake where people okay. enjoy the summer activities and uh, boating and uh, and skidowing. Okay, so what you're saying is that for people that are interested, enthusiasts of the Ogopogo, they should check out the Shushwap or some of the other larger lakes in the interior. No, I didn't say that at all. I, I That's think just what I inferred. Okay, well, this was Dr. George Herring, who is joining us from the Department of Marine Sciences at the University of British Columbia, who has come up with the interesting theory that the Ogopogo has now shifted locations from the Lake Okanagan to either the Shushwap or another large interior lake. Thank you so much, Mr. Herring. Uh, Okay, but you used the word theory. Thank Thank you so much, Mr. Herring.
And now, a This Is That documentary. We're going to start pretty simple here. The first game is going to be a single line in a row car. That's a single line in a row car. In the quiet South Brandon neighborhood of Richmond Park sits a bingo hall simply known as Daubers. And the first ball is... Packed to the rafters, hundreds of bingo players have congregated here to play a game called by Gary Bingo, a man who some are saying is the most inspirational bingo caller of all time. Oh, you know, he's just an absolute angel. Uh, I came to see Gary a year ago, called bingo, and I haven't touched a drop since. You know, I spend a lot of time at home, and Gary makes me want to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, I don't I don't even play the, the game. I, I just come to sit in the back and listen to Gary. Gary's approach to calling bingo is different than most. The next number is under the eye, 17. Rather than simply call the numbers, in a way, Gary actually preaches them. Under the eye, 17. You know, I was only 17 years old when I ran away from home. And if I could turn back the hands of time, I surely would and say, Mom, I was hot-headed back then. I wish I never left under those circumstances. I, 17. I sat down with Gary to find out how he developed his approach to calling bingo. I actually had a health scare. Uh, About a year ago, I had an unusual tumor in my lower back. B-15, young and keen. Ooh, the energy and vibrancy of youth. And after a, a series of appointments and tests, I finally got the good news... Uh, that it was fine, and I remember uh, immediately after receiving that news, I had a game that I was calling, and the first number that came up was B9. You know, I used to be overweight, and you know, it wasn't until I addressed the real problem, I was an emotional eater. And I said, benign. It was benign, and I just cried. I just, I just wept. You know, before I call out this next number, I want you to think about that special someone that you wish could be seated beside you right now playing the game. And as I was revealing more and more about myself, I could just hear the hall bubble to life. I love you, Gary! And I love you! (laughs) Although there is nothing religious about what Gary is doing, the people who come to play are in a way like a congregation. My name is Cindy Granger, and I've been coming uh, to play bingo with Gary uh, for about three years now. Uh, but about eight months ago, he changed my life. <laughs> really? What? What? Uh, how did he change your life? Uh, he, I'll never forget it, actually. He, he pulled out uh, the little ball, and he said, before, before it's too late, why don't you go back to school? And the next day, I walked down to the community college, signed up, and I am on my way to being a registered nurse. According to Gary, this is just the beginning. He wants to grow his movement and feels there are still big things he can do with bingo. I can tell you this much. I do have a book that I've been writing. It's uh, called Bingo, uh, My Calling to Call. It's uh, sort of personal revelations I've had in the hall. And I'm very excited because this February we launch into our uh, 
bingo halls for humanity. We're actually building a hall in Ecuador. As the night comes to an end, I begin to develop a greater appreciation, not only for Gary, but for the game of bingo. <laughs> Wonderful words. Oh, really, so really effective. Perhaps meaning can be found in the simplest of places. And for the players here at Dauber's Bingo Hall, they find meaning in the words of their beloved caller, Gary. Oh, thank you. Would you like a picture? We can oh, thank you. Yes. You know, I think people originally went to the bingo hall thinking that that's all they needed just a good game of bingo and this has revealed that that's not the case they do need more and let's face it a $200 payout for winning four corners isn't bad not in Brandon anyways for this is that and one number away from a blackout bingo I'm Pat Kelly bingo! okay I understand the bingo has been called but I would like you to just hang on a second because I do have a thought I'd like to share. Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. To be kidding me. I, I'm just so furious about this. I mean, this is ridiculous. Have a good day. This is that. Well, if you've found yourself at a dinner party or a board game night over the past few months, sweeping the nation called Ready, Ready, Go. With over 3 million units sold, it has turned its inventor, Lyle Schultz, into a board game tycoon and completely disrupted board game nights across North America. Lyle Schultz joins us now to tell us more about the unbelievable rise of Ready, Ready, Go. Mr. Schultz, welcome to This Is That. Well, thank you very much for having me in the studio. It's beautiful in here. Tell us, how did the game Ready, Ready, Go come to be? It's it's a funny story, actually. I mean, my my wife Helen and I were huge gamers in college. I mean, we would be teased mercilessly, but we just loved games. Uh, of course, later in our life, we had a, quite a collection of games. And so one day, I said, "Helen, uh, the kids are in bed. Let's go back to college days and let's play some games." So we went over to the uh, to the cupboard and we pulled out all of the games. And of course, well, you've got a piece of the snakes and ladders game here. You've got a trivial pursuit deck here. You've got a dice from a, a boggle game. It was just a jumble. We couldn't we couldn't we couldn't play one game. So we said, well, you know, shoot, this isn't fun. Uh, and then we decided, well, let's make a game with the pieces that we have. And that was kind of the very beginning of Ready, Ready, Go. Or as as Helen and I joke, Ready, Squared, Go. It's a, a math uh, a math pun. So, for those people who haven't played the game, which is likely a lot because they can't get their hands on it... Oh, I know. Isn't that crazy? Tell us a little bit uh, how the game works. What are the rules of Ready, Ready, Go? Well, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, you start with an eight-sided board. Uh, every player is given a tile, uh, which is made of mother of pearl, or beautiful tiles, actually, and, and a colorful orb. Uh, now, everyone will then be passed around a bag of dice. You pull out a dice, you give it a roll. Whoever has the highest number is the person that gets to go immediately to the home square. 
square. Once you're on the home square, you go into the deck of 52 cards. Half of the cards are question, half of the cards are numbers. So if you get a number, well, that's the number of spaces that you have to keep between the tile and the orb for the entire round. If you get a question, uh, that means that you are simply riding sidecar. The tile and the orb stay together uh, for the entire round, and you read out either the question on the card, or you can be the master fibber. Well, that certainly sounds like a, a lot well, of fun. Well, not, not, I'm not quite done yet there, <laughs> because once you're, once you're at the Quig's wheel, you're not going to just stand there. You've got to spin it. So you're going to spin the wheel, and uh, you'll either get a wrench, a rope, or a pipe. You then have to go immediately to the Magic Gathering, where one person will be the miniature wizard, and will assign everybody a, a player that they will play with for the rest of the round, and then you will go immediately into a meeting at the Coven. Well, people and certainly then are... out of the Witch's Coven, uh, one person will be elected to climb Jacob's Ladder. Of course, if you're riding sidecar, this will be impossible. Uh, but if you're not riding sidecar, that means that you will piggyback up the ladder. Take a snake to the bottom, you're given a boggled dice, and you have to wear the bag of shame. <laughs> okay. But of course, if they get out, that's when they have to go to the Rubik's Ball. So then if they solve the ball, which is easy because it's sort of a, a simpler version of the Rubik's Cube because it's a perfect ball, it's just one color. Uh, if they solve it, they will become the artist for a day. They're given a palette, a two-by-two-inch two canvas, and they have to paint who they thought was killed by either the wrench, the rope, or the pipe. If well, people guess who it is, then we move on to round two. Well, when people are playing this game, it's uh, it's truly infectious. It seems to be. I mean, this stuff we always joke is more addictive than smoking cigarettes. You know, it's just very popular. So, how has life changed for you? Obviously, the success of this game has to change your life a little bit. Are things different? Well, you know, it's like the old saying goes, you can wave a pearl in front of a pig, but he's still got dirt on his back. And I think that the, the truth still remains. We've got a lot more money. I mean, we're certainly, financially, we've got zero worries, but we've still got a lot of the same problems that other people do. You know, we're trying to raise two teens, and one of them's uh, <laughs> adventurous, to say the least, promiscuous, to be a bit more specific. But we're trying to sort of get navigate our way through that, but certainly we, we don't have financial worries. We could Helen and I often joke, well, we could have a bonfire of $100 bills every single night and we wouldn't even notice a dip in our accounts. <laughs> I mean, we, we wouldn't do it. It's not responsible, but I actually think technically we could, and it's true. We wouldn't notice a difference. I want to congratulate you on the success of the game. Well, thank you so much for having me here. This has been a real treat. And now, a This Is That documentary that documents people. In this piece, we meet Lou Henderson, or Lou Rocketship, and learn about his long-forgotten contribution to glam rock music. And just give me about 10 minutes. I got a flood again. The figure skaters are on there, chewed up the ice pretty good. My name is Lou Henderson, and I'm a Zamboni driver here in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Hey, Lou, is it all right if we use some of the practice pucks? You gonna bring your own pucks? Uh, I wasn't always a Zamboni driver. Actually, in 1973, I went by the alias of Lou Rocket Ship. Blue Rocket Ship. Blue Rocket Ship. 
I was known as Canada's number one glam glitter rock star. Hey, what's shaking out there, all you dreamers? It's Sandy Saturn here, giving you exactly what you need. The latest cut from the one and only Lou Rocket Ship. Baby, this track will send you to your outer reaches. This, my friend, is Orbit Wizard. So, Lou Rocket Ship, tell me about him. Oh. How would I describe Lou Rocketship? You know, I really prided myself on being like as androgynous as possible. Eh? Like, if you came to one of my shows, you couldn't tell if it was a guy or a girl up there. It was just like this thing, right? Who was just floating in outer space. I had a big glitter star, silver star on my face. I wore 36 inch heeled boots that had a big glitter cannon coming out of the heel. So at the climax of the show, right, it would be like the crowd would just be sprayed with glitter. You know, I don't want to lie to you. I was fabulous. It was fabulous. Yeah. Someone put paper towel down the toilet in the men's change room. It's a huge mess. And you put on the gloves and just make sure because it's everywhere. Yeah. Excuse me, guys. I gotta go clean the can. So, I'll see you later. My name is Rick Flambone, and I'm a music writer for Bang Bang Magazine. You know, if you ask anybody in the music business uh, who the best glam rockers were in the '70s, well, you'd have the top three: Bowie, Alvin Stardust, and then of course Lou Rocketship. I mean, you know, Lou was just that good. He was so theatrical and and charismatic and and just well i don't know just fabulous you know and, and to sort of think that this androgynous unicorn sort of appeared from canada was just shocking in the music business i mean he really had it all which is it's so sad when you think about the fact that he just quit he just disappeared you know it's always been a bit of a mystery uh, as to why he stopped Your mind. All you got is your glitter. Your hopes are all gone. Why did I quit? Well, you know, truth be told, I don't really have a great answer for you. I was just, you know, the reality was I was approaching 30, and, you know, everybody's got to come back down to earth at some point, man. You know, and so that's why I decided to come back here to Moose Jaw and pursue my second passion, which was driving Zamboni. You know, in its own right, it's pretty fabulous too, you know. There's a certain certain mystique to kind of being out there in the middle of the rink at 5.30 in the morning by yourself, just you and the ice. All right, boys, 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 listen up. You got five minutes, okay? I got to clean up the rink, so let's get out of here. Wrap Good. it up. I'm not denying that Lou Rocket Ship's not a part of me. I mean, he's still in there for sure. He'll forever be a part of me, and... You know, there's times for sure where I'll let them out. Got those boots. No, they're right here. Sometimes when everybody's left the rink, I'll come in here and I'll dim the lights and I'll crank the music and just kind of bask in the feeling of what it used to be like to be a a real moonbeam rider. You know, the world in a in a bigger sense may not get the chance to see Lou Rocketship anymore, but 
you know, the bottom line is, is I know he's in there, right? And that's all that matters. Ooh, yeah. I got my skates. I must have left them in the... Hey, 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 what's going on, man? Oh, hey, Brian. What are you doing? Uh, Ooh, what are you doing? Do? It's what all androgynous in here. What do you need? Oh, uh, forget it, son. Just saw I left my skates. Forget it. Oh, I'll come get them for you. Well, that was another episode of This Is That from CBC Podcasts. This show was created and performed by me, Pat Kelly. And by me, Peter Oldring. With additional voices supplied by Lauren Ash. Production support by Kelly and Kelly. Head of production, Lauren Berkovich. Senior producer and sound designer, Chris Kelly. Additional editing by Max Collins. Roshni Nair is our digital coordinating producer. Executive producers are Cecil Fernandez and Chris Oak. Tanya Springer is the senior manager of CBC Podcasts, and Arif Nurani is the director. Thanks for listening, and remember, if it's not this, then it must be that. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.